Welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you for show number 172. And this is brought to you on Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, as well as with video here on YouTube. All right. Well, let's see here. We're coming up. This is basically our Christmas episode. (laughs) And uh, so, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Uh, Happy Hanukkah for those who have been celebrating Hanukkah. Uh, Happy Kwanzaa, I guess that's a thing, and any other merry holidays or yuletide uh, season's greetings that anybody desires out there. Uh, I personally think that the whole war on Christmas nonsense is just that, so much nonsense. Talk about a tempest in a teapot. If there's a, a group of people who cannot claim to be persecuted, it is Christians in the United States. And uh, this war on Christmas is, a, is seems to be this fantasy that's sprung up the last few years. And I, I anyway, it just always amuses me. I'm, it's just a source of, of, of mirth for me uh, at this time of the year, as I think it is for most people. All right. So this season or this year, this episode, we're going to talk about freedom of speech. And this is a really, really hot topic in certain quarters right now. I have alluded to it, talked about it myself, answered questions about it. I have received many questions uh, over the last year or so from interested viewers of mine on my podcast and other uh, videos I put out about the subject of free speech because it is such a hot topic and people are, you know, there's (laughs) It's difficult. It's a very, very difficult, uh, controversial topic. It really shouldn't be. It's actually not difficult. But our nature and our emotions and and our our biases and our our passions make it difficult. And, uh, you know, when we rub each other the wrong way and, and we get into fights about this and what can you say and what can't you say. And for me personally, it's been very frustrating because... The minority radical left. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to first off, I want to differentiate, talk about there are extremes. Okay, now this is not, actually I should even, even go earlier, even more basic and fundamental than this. Free speech is not a political issue. It's a rights issue. It has to do with human rights. It's, in, it's encased in our Bill of Rights, and of course this is regulated by government, but it's not a political issue. Freedom of speech is, a, is again, a rights issue. And these are not the same thing. Politics always gets all involved in this, but I'm not taking a political position here when I'm talking about free speech. This applies equally to everyone, no matter what your political persuasion, no matter what your race, sex, gender, creed, et cetera, et cetera, no matter what classification of human being you fall into anywhere on the planet that we call Earth, you have a right, a universal right to express yourself, to voice or otherwise express your opinions and ideas and thoughts and attitudes about things. That is one of the most fundamental human rights that we have, right above, say, the right to exist, which also, by the way, is a right that we all have, or at least that we should have, that should be recognized. And every country in the world, short of, 
you know, China, um, uh, Russia, um, some Middle Eastern countries, and unfortunately, some parts of the United States, uh, don't recognize these human rights uh, as universal. And that's a real problem. And I've done an earlier podcast episode about the subject of human rights, which if you haven't seen, I'd suggest you take a look at because I talked about the universality of these rights. In this episode, we're going to focus on freedom of speech. So I wanted to make the point that it's not political, but politics, of course, political groups get involved in this and they politicize it. And most extremely or most loudly these days, we're hearing about uh, problems with the extreme radical left uh, trying to shut down free speech, trying to make people stop saying certain words, certain expressions, certain phrases uh, that they find offensive for some reason. And um, this, and, and by for some reason, I mean a multiplicity of reasons. I don't mean that, you know, for some reason they don't get it. I mean, I understand why they're you know, so up in arms about some of the speech, but they are wrong. Uh, And uh, I want to clarify why the radical extreme left is wrong, but that's not to say when I say something like that, immediately the thought occurs to a lot of people, well, then the extreme radical right must must be right. They must be correct because if their left is wrong, and I say, hold on there, one does not follow the other. The extreme right has issues on this as well. Everyone has issues on this. That's why it's not a political point. It's a rights issue, okay? Um, But they really are. The extreme radical left is really making things very difficult for all of us these days. And um, this is, you know, we're all, everybody on the left is being typified or stereotyped as being ridiculously easily offended, you know, we can't deal with any opposition. We want to take people's money away and, and, and we want to take their rights away just so we can have our way. And I'm here to tell you that from a person on the left and from many, many friends of mine and people I've surveyed and gone out of my way to talk to about this, most people on the left think that these extreme radicals on the left are just as nuts as everybody on the right thinks they're nuts, okay? We're not down with that. And they really do make things difficult for us. And I'm talking about the extremists now. So I wanted to kind of get that out of the way because I don't want to be confused with or get mixed in with those people. Because those are not people who represent my views or ideas about free speech. Even though I identify as, you know, left of center, um, I am not a radical leftist. All right. Um, Now, free speech is, is a core aspect of of all of this, of course, and um, obviously also content creators on YouTube and other platforms are having some stress and anxiety right now because of deplatforming that's occurring. There's, there are, I've made some notes here I'm looking over to as I go because there's a lot to talk about with this. Um, there are very serious challenges to free speech on social media platforms these days, but we must take care when we're talking about these things, to be very, very specific about these cases. Uh, Generalities on this are prolific. Oh, the left wants to shut down free speech. The right wants to shut down free speech. All those people in academia hate free speech. All those people in the university hate free speech. Look, let's just knock off the generalities because it's not helpful. Um, Each person 
who has been deplatformed on social media has to be looked at on a case-by-case -case basis. Content creators are ultra-sensitive on this subject right now, and of course they have reason to be. There are really valid reasons to be concerned. This podcast is not about trying to say that there's no issue here and that there's no problem and social media platforms can do whatever they want. This is way more nuanced than that. They are making some really big mistakes, social media platforms are, but at the same time, they've also made some correct calls. So it's not a black and white issue. Um, journalists, content creators such as myself have a vested interest in this and, we're, and they don't always bother when they talk about or report on this to find out what the actual deal is. And so we get stupid, ridiculous stories where people like Alex Jones, uh, who's a rabble rouser and a professional cretin, uh, rightfully kicked off social media, and I'll explain why later. He gets, he gets bunched in with other people who definitely should not be kicked off social media platforms for what they have to say. And we have the problem now. We have the likes of Dave Rubin, Jordan Peterson, and other people in the intellectual dark web, and you can Google that if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, who are now, they're talking about, as of this last week, going off and making their own social media platforms because they're afraid that they're going to be targeted next for deplatforming. I think they're being a bit extreme, and I think the real fight should be to make these platforms do it right. And in order to get them to do it right, well, I, you know, I don't know any other way to do this except to talk about it and try to exert some uh, pressure and, and guidance to them. And we'll see, you know, how they respond. And I'm talking here about Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and Instagram and all of them. If there's, you know, <laughs> free speech is not an absolute right, and it never should be. There are plenty of times when our ability to express ourselves has to be curtailed. This is why everywhere one looks at the laws and definitions of our human rights about freedom of expression, you will always find language that says something along the lines of, except where such speech would cause harm, or except where such speech would reduce or degrade the dignity of another. Although that last bit is definitely up for grabs, uh, up for debate in places like the United States. If there's anything Americans seem to want, it's the freedom to lob insults at one another in a public venue, and the more personal those insults are, the better. And some of this gets pretty lewd, crude, and rude, and some of it is more than lewd, crude, and prude, it, rude. It is actually dangerous. And there are uh, controversies over hate speech. I don't tend to like that term very much because it's, it's a very difficult term to, to define. It's very relative to one's viewpoint as opposed to an objective standard you can apply. It's difficult to do that. Uh, it's not impossible, but it's difficult. And so far, I haven't been too impressed with uh, the efforts being made to stop free speech because they tend to blanket um, speech that you just don't like in with hate speech. YouTube is doing this all over the place in the way that they are arbitrarily demonetizing videos left, right, and center. And it, and it is left, right, and center. There are people on the left who are having their videos demonetized. There are people in the center who are having their videos demonetized, and there's people on the right. I can find case examples of all of it. There's not 
I don't believe right now, based on the information that I have, that there is a, a campaign on the part of social media platforms to target specifically people on the left or specifically people on the right. I think they're just kind of spraying, you know, sort of hosing everybody with this. I have had videos demonetized for no good reason. The, uh, the videos I make, the podcasts I put out are educational, non-hate speech under, I think, any definition you could find for that term. And yet, I have videos that have been demonetized by YouTube for purely arbitrary reasons because they find them, quote-unquote, advertiser unfriendly. And yet, somehow, that doesn't stop YouTube from putting ads on those videos anyway, which I find hypocritical, to say the least. So I'm fairly critical right now of how YouTube is dealing with this, and I'm also fairly critical of how Facebook is dealing with this. And Twitter is just, is just a, a whirlwind of insanity. So, um, so nobody's really getting this right yet. Um, now, when this is under discussion, people tend to talk about what should be said or shouldn't be said instead of discussing the larger issue of freedom of expression itself. If you read John Stuart Mill you'll understand that this has been an issue for centuries, and our modern society is no exception. For example, when discussing the right to practice one's chosen religion, Mill said, quote, Yet so natural to mankind is intolerance in whatever they really care about that religious freedom has hardly anywhere been practically realized, except where religious indifference which dislikes to have its peace disturbed by theological quarrels, has added its weight to the scale. In the minds of almost all religious persons, even in the most tolerant countries, the duty of toleration is admitted with tacit reserves." End quote. Okay, now in other words, now this was written in 1859, so the language is a little bit difficult, but I'll, just, I'll, I'll translate it this way. People may claim they support tolerance of belief when it comes to religion, but most of them are hard-pressed to actually put their money where their mouth is when met with some opposing religious views that they find abhorrent or which rubs them the wrong way. And I'll just stress here right now that uh, I have, I could certainly be accused of this because I rant and rave and talk about Scientology and other destructive cults, which, which many academics have identified as new religious movements that should have freedom of religion and freedom of expression, so those people in those destructive cults should have the freedom to uh, say what they want, think what they want, believe what they want. Well, not once in any video I've ever produced have I ever challenged that right. My take on this has been to highlight and show the destructive abuses of these groups and how they actually lie to and deceive their members. Anyone who watches any of my videos is going to know this. But I just want to make it clear that I'm not approaching this from a, I don't believe I am approaching this from a hypocritical point of view, because I will allow, I, I will, I'm perfectly fine with anybody, anywhere, believing whatever they want. I really don't care. It's how those beliefs manifest into action in the real world where I become concerned. Now, this business about how we say we should tolerate free speech, say we should tolerate religion in this example, is probably one of our most basic hypocrisies because, and this is why it gets fought over for, you know, because our intellect knows that we should allow this, that we should have 
a freedom of expression, but our passions drive us to try to shut down and silence people whose views we disagree with. And I'm not just talking about the Nazis. I mean, immediately Godwin's law comes into play here. But I'm not just talking about the extremists that we dis disagree with and, and clearly what is hate speech. I mean, that's a, that's a bit of a different thing from what I'm talking about here where I say, I disagree with you and I disagree with you so much that I think that the solution to our disagreement is to shut you down, shut you up, and not allow you to say the words that you're saying because I don't even want you thinking the things that you're thinking because I am so much in disagreement with that. That is our basic nature. That's what we're fighting against. And it's not pretty and it's not fun, but it is something that uh, we have to deal with. Now, given that this is our most basic nature, it makes it a bit challenging to assert that we should all have human rights and we should respect each other's rights. This is, the, this is the conflict that happens. I mean, sure, in theory, we all agree on this, but in practice, it doesn't really work out this way at all. And this is why I bring up the point that, you know, we really should talk about the subject of freedom of expression. That's what this podcast is about. Now, we'll go on endlessly over what words can and can't be said, what ideas can and can't be thought, but we'll rarely discuss whether it's even right or wrong to be imposing such limitations on ourselves and others. So, let's dive into this and let's take a look at what some of our rights actually are as elucidated in our uh, covenants and, and declarations and, and Bill of Rights and all of that. Let's start with the UN, United States Bill of Rights. And this is obviously not universally applicable, but certainly is um, uh, front and center to the debate and to the conversation about all of this. The First Amendment specifically states, quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. End quote. Now, there's a lot packed into those three, you know, those four little lines there. And it's not very clear or specific. And I think that that was probably on purpose because our founding fathers wanted to make as broad and general statements as possible when it came to describing our freedoms. Now, it's very clear to even a five-year-old that if you say you have an unlimited power or an absolute power, and then you put limits on that power, there could be problems. And we're in the midst of exactly those kind of problems now. This is one area where our founding fathers really could have done a much better job in describing what these rights actually mean. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, they didn't think the thoughts through as to what kind of consequences could occur from all of this. And of course, we're talking about people who were living in the 1700s. So I doubt that they predicted something like the internet or modern means of communication or technology, television, air, even radio airwaves. I mean, none of this stuff was really in their minds. So the ramifications and consequences of what they were writing, you know, I mean, I get it. You know, I'm not trying to, like, beat them down, but I'm just saying that they really could have done a little bit better of a job. And now we come forward to the 1940s, post-World War II, where you have the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Article 19 states, Everyone has the right to freedom of opinion and expression. 
This right includes freedom to hold opinions without interference and to seek, receive, and impart information and ideas through any media and regardless of frontiers. Now that's a, that's a more well thought out statement of, a, of that right. However, this is something else that was missing from the Bill of Rights. This, this next article I'm going to read you from the Universal Declaration, and it's an important point. This is Article 12. No one shall be subjected to arbitrary interference with his privacy, family, home, or correspondence, nor to attacks upon his honor and reputation. Everyone has the right to the protection of the law against such interference or attacks. And this, this point, which is included in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, but is not included in the United States Bill of Rights, is a very, very important and missing point. Because what happens in the United States is we get so pumped up and egotistically uh, looking at how our rights affect us that we don't think or consider how our expression of our rights or our, our exercise of our rights might negatively impact other people around us. And this is important. And this is a point of responsibility now because it's not a point of legal regulation. We don't have an Article 12 in our Bill of Rights. And uh, so we have not, as a culture, over the last few centuries, put as much stock in recognizing other people's rights as much as we have and been putting our attention on our own rights. In other words, we've been a little selfish. And this is, if there is, I believe that if there is any um, really solid foundational kind of critique for American rights versus the rights that go on in the rest of the world, this would be it. We're very selfish about our exercise of our rights. And we don't, again, think about other people and their rights. And we cannot practice or exercise our rights as individuals uh, in such a way that it deprives or degrades other people's rights. This is where we lose it in America all the time, okay? Uh, Article 29 even goes into this even more. Uh, this Again, Article 29 of Universal Declaration of Human Rights states, one, Everyone has duties to the community in which alone the free and full development of his personality is possible. Two, in the exercise of his rights and freedoms, everyone shall be subject only to such limitations as are determined by law solely for the purpose of securing due recognition and respect for the rights and freedoms of others and of meeting the just requirements of morality, public order, and the general welfare in a democratic society. These are really important articles in the Universal Declaration, and I really, we are really missing out on not having these in our Bill of Rights. We have adopted the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, but how many people in the United States actually know about it, then know about what it says, have actually read all of these articles, and are aware of Article 29? I'm willing to bet, given the ignorance of the United States in general about international issues and about our rights, because I have heard some really ridiculous statements by Americans about our rights and about human rights in general, um, that I'm willing to bet that very, very few people in the United States are aware of the Universal Declaration and are then aware of what it actually says. 
Three of Article 29. Three, these rights and freedoms may in no case be exercised contrary to the purposes and principles of the United Nations. All right, and then Article 30 also. Nothing in this declaration may be interpreted as implying for any state, group, or person any right to engage in any activity or to perform any act aimed at the destruction of any of the rights and freedoms set forth there herein. Okay? So, I think I've, I think I've probably driven that point into the ground. I want to also quote from the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. This is to give some contrast to our own United States Bill of Rights, but also to show that there's been a lot of smart people who have put a lot of work and attention on how do we word our rights and how do we exercise our rights so that we all get along. Because in the end, these rights are only useful to the degree that they help us get along with each other and live our lives in uh, a, such a way that we can practice life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So Article 19 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, and I think it's a coincidence that it's also Article 19, says, one, everyone shall have the right to hold opinions without interference. Two, everyone shall have the right to freedom of expression. This right shall include freedom to seek, receive, and impart information and ideas of all kinds, regardless of frontiers, either orally, in writing, or in print, in the form of art, or through any other media of his choice. Three, the exercise of the rights provided for in paragraph two of this article carries with it special duties and responsibilities. It may therefore be subject to certain restrictions, but these shall only be such as are provided by law and are necessary. 3a, for respect of the rights or reputation of others, b, for the protection of national security, or of public order, or of public health, or morals. All right, so basically what we're talking about here is you have the freedom to say, think, and express yourself in any way you want, provided you're not doing it in such a way that it's detracting from other people's rights. And that's, again, that's where things get tricky. What kind of exceptions are we talking about here? Well, we've already agreed to many of them. Um, and that's, you know, but, but this is actually kind of the rub because this is where Americans get confused. The worst of us want these rights to vent against people they despise or to tell vicious, bald-faced lies such as Alex Jones, right? To pump up a subscriber base, make easy money based on fear-mongering and hate. And it's not just Alex Jones, of course. I just use him as a case example because he's the most extreme example in the public eye at this moment. This is this business model I just described, by the way, is Alex Jones's bread and butter. And there are people right now energetically defending his right to have that business model, despite any that he shouldn't have been platformed, and that everything that he says is fully covered by our Bill of Rights, and therefore, what's the problem? All right, well, I think you kind of get the drift of where I'm going here, that there are all kinds of problems with this. So anyway, as far as... Um, exceptions to, you know, like instances where free speech is, is censored and we're okay with it. Let me give you a couple examples uh, in our justice system. Juries 
cannot talk or hear anything about the case they're deciding except for the information they receive in the courtroom. And if that means that the judge has to sequester them in order to ensure that that's the case, the judge has the right to do that. And it's difficult, it's painful, it's annoying, uh, it's part of civil, our civic duty uh, to be jurists. And when we're a jurist, we have to agree to certain limits on our speech. We can't be talking about the case with people who don't have any familiarity with it. We can't go home at night when we're on jury duty and blab all about the case that we're involved in. At least we're not supposed to. And, um, and we're certainly not supposed to be, you know, reading the newspapers or watching the news in these highly controversial cases about this stuff, right? Because in order for our justice system to work, we have to have a complete record during the case of all the things that the jury was told by the defense and by the prosecution and by all the witnesses. And if there's other information being entered in and it's not in the court record, then you have no record of, of how this judgment came about and therefore the prosecution and the defense have, are, are hindered in their ability to prosecute the case or defend the case or deal with appeals to the case because all the data should be there for anybody to review in the court transcripts and in the court record. So if other information is entering in to the jurists that is not in the court record, then the, the, the judgment that the jury renders could end up making very little sense. So we, again, this is a limit on our free speech that we agree to. Uh, inciting violence. You know, everybody agrees. You don't go into a theater and stand up and yell, fire! Oh my God, there's a fire! and literally start a riot because that is the effect that those words will have. Uh, you also don't go onto an airplane and, you, and stand up and start screaming bomb. You don't get to do that, right? The TSA doesn't even like you saying the word bomb in an airport, right? They really come down on people for this. Now, that may or may not be uh, valid that, you know, you can't just say the word bomb in an airport. That sounds a little bit much. But you certainly, certainly must see the point that you can't just have the freedom to stand up in the middle of an airplane while it's in the air and say, oh my God, there's a bomb on the plane. I mean, you can see immediately the damage that this would create by doing that and why it is that such a person would immediately be shut down and tied up and thrown in the back and told to shut the hell up because they're going to cause panic. They're going to incite behavior be from their speech that is destructive behavior. That's where we get into this point of crossing lines and, and impinging on, infringing on other people's rights. Uh, okay, now this is a really silly example, but I'm just going to throw it out there because it occurred to me that, oh yeah, you know, when we get tested on things, we're sitting there in the classroom, and this is children, this is adults in college, anywhere you get tested, you can't just sit there in the test and tell the other person what your answers are across the way from you. I mean, one, we call that cheating, but two, it's a limit on your freedom of expression, isn't it? You don't get to express certain things while you're in the middle of taking a test. It's just part of the rules, and we agree to it because we understand that that rule makes sense. <laughs> okay. Um, 
I'll tell you another place where we give a where we used to have a very wide latitude, and the sensitivity of our culture has become such these days that we've taken offense to a ridiculous extreme, and this is where these extreme leftists really drive me nuts. But a very very important part of society where we allow more freedom of speech, and this is not an exception. This is the um, uh, well, this is maybe the exception that proves the rule is comedians. Comedians are really important to a society's health. Satire is incredibly important to a society's health and well-being. We have to have the ability and the, the right to make fun of things, to laugh at things, to find ridicule in any subject. And when something's being done for the, for the point of satire and ridicule and humor, that's not, you know, the, the problem with what's going on with the extreme left right now is they, is they bunch all that together with people of ill intent, people who have malice towards, say, minority groups, and use, you know, language that is not uh, very um, nice towards minorities, let's say, right, just to, uh, to put it lightly. But comedians kind of get a pass on a lot of things, and they should. And satirists get passes on things, and they should, because the intent of that is to push boundaries for a reason, right? And there's a whole, there's a lots and lots of, of uh, theory on this and, and, and the role of comedy in society and, and ridicule and satire. Excuse me. So we want freedom of speech in that direction. We want a very wide latitude. Because that is um, one one comedy is a place, is a place where you can um, uh, you know sort of vent off steam. Um, it's also a place where you can poke holes at things or find ridicule in things that that maybe we take a little too seriously sometimes. And we should have that right and ability to laugh it off, uh, make things a little less serious sometimes, and um, and also you know maybe. Uh, poke holes in some of the things that we find um, sacred or uh, beyond reproach or, you know, imperfect or infallible. You know, we have religious ideals. We have political ideals that some people take very, very seriously. And it's good to poke fun at those things sometimes. So, um, so anyway, that's kind of a thing. And there's also, in terms of... Um, regulation of freedom of speech, uh, social pressure and social persecution can be just as strong or even stronger a motivating force to shut down some of our rights than legal guidelines or rules or regulations. So it really does serve all of our best interests for all of us to be aware of this stuff because when we join in on mob mentalities that occur on social media in order to shut down speech we don't like, um, we're shooting ourselves in the foot when we do that. Um, the, the power of, of the mob is impressive. And these days, especially in the last couple of years, we've seen the rise of mob justice on social media in ways we've not seen it before, uh, in a volume we've not seen it before. And I don't know that people who participate in that and, um, and or create that kind of thing have really thought the thought through of what they're actually doing. And I, of course, 
am just as guilty as everybody else about this. I've gotten myself riled up about things and gotten on a roll and said, yeah, shut that guy down. And, you know, that was not necessarily the right call all the time. Um, but I do also want to point this out, at least from my perspective, the current wave of, of sensitivity and taking offense at any little thing, these are flashes in the pan of history right now, this, this, this phase that we're going through. And there's already a backlash against it. And, it's, and it's, th this is going to be exhausted pretty soon. This whole, like, I'm so offended and safe spaces and all that. This, th there are already, the backlash is so great right now that that nonsense is getting pushed back on and pushed down. And I don't think we're really going to be seeing a whole lot of that as the years move forward here. I think that the pendulum sw will start swinging in the other direction. And maybe we can learn something from this so that next time when that pendulum goes too far, we don't let it go all the way back to where it's gone now, you see. This is especially, especially important considering that a lot of this uh, attempt at the censorship of free speech is coming from academia is coming from educational institutions. This is really not good because we're talking about raising up two, three generations of people who are going to be thinking that this is actually acceptable, good exercise of our rights. And, uh, and no, it's really not. In any educational situation, and for anyone who wants to engage in good critical thinking, we must demand that all sides of any position or situation or topic be up for discussion at all times. Now this is, again, I'm limiting this to educational situations now or critical thinking situations. This is really important to understand. This comes right out of John Stuart Mill, by the way, uh, all the way back to 1859, and I, and I wholeheartedly agree with this. There is no way to form justifiable or valid opinions or judgments without allowing a full discourse of all sides of anything you're trying to teach about. The current mode is to kick speakers off college campuses for being too controversial. And this has included comedians and intellectuals and academics, not just alt-right hate speechers, speakers like Milo or uh, Richard, what's his nuts, the, uh, the Nazi guy, Richard Spencer. Uh, you know, we're not just talking about those two guys. We're talking about people who are not controversial figures, who are not hate speech figures, and they're not being allowed to speak. This attitude is completely self-destructive and actively denies students access to a fair and good education. This is where freedom of expression could really shine, but instead our prejudices and fears have turned us into intellectual cowards who are offended at the very idea someone will disagree with us. This is not a valid way to teach. When only one person or one institution is allowed to be learned, you have indoctrination, not education. And that opens the door to cultic thinking and extremism. It's therefore no surprise at all that this is what we have in our, in our academies and universities. And this is setting up entire generations of upcoming working professionals for complete failure. Um, all right, so I just wanted to make that point really, really super clear. I am not down with any of the nonsense that's going on on college campuses right now about this. 
Uh, it is, it is uh, like I said, it's just shooting. The, they're, all these academics are doing is shooting themselves in the foot and denying the basic rights that every single one of us have. All right, so now let's talk about the most controversial part of this, and that is deplatforming. When is it deserved and when isn't it deserved? Um, all right, first off, there is this argument about um, that's been made, and I've made it, that private platforms that are privately owned, not government-funded, not government-endorsed, not government-backed, uh, they're not public utilities. Uh, the social media platforms, for example, uh, YouTube, um, these platforms have to have the right to edit or censor content. They just have to. There's, we have laws in place, for example, on slander and libel. And a responsible platform would take actions to see that these laws are not broken on their platforms. And they have to have the ability to do that. Otherwise, the platforms themselves could end up being held legally liable for the content that they're putting out there that is slanderous or libelous. Um, when free speech results in crimes being committed or the free speech, the, the exercise of the speech itself is a crime because it is libel or slander, for example. Uh, so, we, so I think that's a fairly sensible position. I don't think anybody would, 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 would say, uh, you know, if you really think the thought through on this, oh yeah, no, they shouldn't have that right. Anybody should be able to say anything, anytime, anywhere on any social media platform. I think that uh, it's pretty clear why that would not be the case. And if you're so far down the free speech rabbit hole that you think any speech of any kind, anywhere, at any time is justified, then we're just not on the same page and you haven't really been listening to anything I said. Um, okay, so when do you deplatform somebody and when do you not? Well, I, you know, I'm not the CEO of these companies, so really this is just my thinking on the matter. And there might be other information I'm not, I'm not privy to or I don't have that might... Um, I don't know, somehow modify my ideas here. But what I look at is I look at everything we were just talking about here in terms of how speech can impinge on other people's rights uh, and including their reputation and their dignity. This is really important. Um, it seems that other countries outside the United States actually get this more than the United States does. And again, I think the reason why is because of... Um, you know, that the Founding Fathers kind of screwed up a bit in how they worded uh, our Bill of Rights. So, um, okay, so let's say you have, let me, let me point out first off a case that I believe was correct, and then we can talk about uh, instances where it's not correct. And there are probably way more instances where it's not correct than there are instances where it's correct to deplatform somebody. And again, I'm going to go back to Alex Jones because it's the one I'm most intimately familiar with and because he's become kind of the poster child for free speech. And that is a really big mistake. Alex Jones should not be the poster child for anything. Um, okay, I've already made the point many, many times that Alex Jones, uh, conspiracy theorist, rabble rouser, um, you know, whatever you want, however you want to describe him, is a person who has, um, tells lies for a living. Literally. He just makes stuff up. And people just let him. And most of what he has said over the years has been entirely without consequence of, of much of anything. 
you get a bunch of people thinking a bunch of weird crap and conspiracy theories. And we've talked about conspiracy theories and, you know, in the end, we're talking about a very, very small number of people and a, uh, in, you know, compared to the bigger picture. So perspective-wise, Alex Jones has not been, uh, 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 you know, the, the, the leader of evil <laughs> in the United States. However, he did go too far on Sandy Hook. And if you're not familiar with this, I'll just very briefly... Uh, Sandy Hook was a school shooting that happened years ago. Alex Jones went on his show and, as he is wont to do, created a wove this entire conspiracy theory around the Sandy Hook shooting, where he claimed that the that the people who were shot and killed, the, the, we're talking about kids now, were crisis actors, and that the parents of these children and the, and the children themselves were crisis actors. It was all a hoax. It was a false flag operation. Sandy Hook was just something invented by the government in order to more impinge on our rights and whatever other nonsense Alex Jones spewed about that. Because he did that, and because he not only did that once, but he said it over and over and over again, there were consequences to what he said. The consequences of what he said were that his followers, some of his followers, started stalking and harassing those parents, parents who had lost children at the Sandy Hook shooting, to the point that they were being followed around, they were being threatened, they were being told that we know all about you, we know you're just a bunch of fakes, we know you're frauds, you didn't lose any kids. I mean, imagine being told this by complete strangers you've never seen or heard of before because some dickwad on a radio show is telling them that you're a fake, you're an actor. And your kid is dead and laying in a graveyard. I mean, if this is not the kind of example of where one's freedom of speech is impinging on other people's rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, I don't know what is. These people, these Alex Jones followers who started stalking and harassing these parents, made it so bad that these parents could not even visit the graves of their children uh, because they were being followed and stalked and harassed. So that's a direct result, not an indirect result, it's a direct result of what Alex Jones said. This got so bad that these parents got together and decided to sue Alex Jones over this. And his response was to triple down, say it over and over again, I was right, these are crisis actors, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so the stalking and harassment continued, and Alex Jones was given every opportunity to walk back his words, to drop the matter, to stop being a, a dick, basically. And his, instead, he tripled down, quadrupled down, and this case is still ongoing, as far as I know. So, because of the real-world consequences of his speech... People, innocent people, victims of a school shooting, have been stalked and harassed. So, is that right? Should that happen? Is that what we call freedom of speech? Absolutely not. That is where you are uh, engaging in, again, this, this slander, libelous behavior. You are ruining the reputation of innocent people who did nothing wrong and do not deserve any part of what's happening to them. 
and Alex Jones deserves to be censured for this. And the, the way that a platform can go about doing that is first warn you that you're on shaky ground, man. You are saying things that are, that are not good uh, the, because the effects of your speech, and this is the important part, the effects, the consequences of your speech are having real-world effects on people uh, of, a de of a very detrimental nature. Now, if that's what you want to do and you're successfully doing it, well, then you're a scumbag. And if that's not what you want to do, then it seems to me that if you had any moral compass at all, you would walk back what you said and you'd tell people, Hey, I didn't want you guys to do this. This wasn't what was, this isn't what we should be doing, right? But that's not Alex Jones's way. So if you won't stop and the real world adverse consequences of your speech continue and you keep supporting it and keep pushing it, then the platform you're using to do that really doesn't have any other choice but to shut you down. That's the extreme end of what they can do. The, the warnings and the, you know, the like, hey, man, you know, maybe suspending you for a while. I mean, you know, you're trying to create, the platform is trying to create a change in the behavior. You know, you don't want this immoral behavior occurring. And there's no question, I think, from the picture that I've painted here, that Alex Jones was engaging in immoral behavior. Now, we don't have to all become the morality police. That's not really my point. My point is that we should be decent human beings and when we're not being decent human beings and we're being called out on it and we continue to not be decent human beings, then you kind of get to a point where you've proven to the world that you don't care about other people's rights. You don't care about what other pe you don't care about other people at all. So why should anybody care about you and your rights? You know, Alex Jones will go on a roll for hours and hours on his show about his freedom of speech. But what about the freedom of movement, the freedom of life, the freedom of existence that those Sandy Hook parents have? He doesn't care about them at all, and he never did. So I find myself a little strained to care about his rights. And that's where we have arrived with Alex Jones. So he's no poster boy for free speech. He is a poster boy for an exact example of how to do it wrong, how to be a bad content creator, how to be a voice of unreason and hate and nonsense and just complete lunacy. That's who that man is, and that's what he has done. So in that case, he deserved to be deplatformed. And quite honestly, I think he pushed it because he wanted to be deplatformed because it was a way he felt he could make more money and get more attention because that's what really, in the end, he's all about. Now, that having been said, and I, I'm just following my own advice here of being very specific about that case. Now, let's look at some other cases. Now, there's lots of them, and unfortunately, this is where I'm going to go into, uh, I mean, unfortunately, it's unfortunate that there are so many cases of this happening on the left and the right. This is, again, this is not a partisan political thing. Um, of people being deplatformed or suspended or stopped from saying things that they have every right to say, and they should be allowed to use these platforms to say it. When you're voicing opinions, 
when you're not, you know, you're not making truth claims, you're voicing your opinion about something, you have the right to do that. And anybody should have that right. And I do mean anybody. And I do mean on any subject. And that's about as absolutist as I'm going to go on that, right? There are exceptions. I've, I've laid out what some of those exceptions are. But when it comes to, um, you know, things that you might disagree with, I might disagree with, well, you know, the Universal Declaration, our Bill of Rights, everything else says, hey, you know, people can think what they want, they can say what they want, they can express themselves how they want, and they should have that ability to do so. So, for example, just the other day, I saw a man who was a former Muslim who has been posting uh, fairly regularly about uh, the dangers of Islam, as per his experience. In the same way, I have posted about Scientology and how Scientology is a destructive cult. Well, he's got a lot to say about Islam and his Muslim experience. And he doesn't have a lot of good things to say about um, Islam in general. And, uh, and that's, that's where he's coming from. So, all right, good. You know, have at it. Voice your, voice your opinions. Say what you, say, voice your experience. Educate people on what you went through, just like I educate people on what I went through. But because for some reason, there's this really strange thing going on with, I guess, the left. Uh, I have to say the left because I don't know exactly where this is coming from. I know where some of the free speech issues are coming from, from academia and universities. But I'm not sure where this pro-Islam thing coming from. I mean, freedom of religion, great. Have freedom of religion. But this goes more than that. This isn't just tolerance. This is active support for Islam and for, for Muslims uh, to the point where if you are critical of Islam or Muslims, then you're an Islamophobe. Here come the labels, right? You're a hate speaker. You are uh, somebody who, you know, just hates on people. Okay. Well, that would be like calling me a Scientologophobe. I mean, you could make up that expression, but it's a useless expression that doesn't really mean much of anything because Scientolo a Scientologophobe is not a thing. It's not a real thing. <laughs> I'm a former Scientologist who had very real experiences and very real human rights abuses committed against me, and I have taken this platform to talk about those things. And fortunately for me, Scientology is universally reviled because everybody understands that it's an abusive, destructive cult. We've had, you know, hundreds, thousands of people come forward and talk about this. Well, we've also had just as many people come out and say that same thing. In fact, many, many more about their experiences with Islam uh, and some of the very radical uh, scriptures and statements that are made in the Islamic world. But for some reason, in the United States, there's a faction of people, and unfortunately some of these people seem to control these platforms, social media platforms, where they say you don't get to say that. You don't get to be critical of Islam. That is wrong. There is, no, there is nothing right about that. And uh, to censor that speech, to take those posts down specifically on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, is wrong. This is where these platforms are really losing it. And this is not just on Islam. The same thing could be applied to any other subject, right? We could go slippery slope on this and say eventually it's going to be everything. 
I don't know that that's true. I think I, I think I believe more in pendulum swings of fads and and trends and movements in society. And I think things go this way, and then I think they go this way. And you can just see this kind of cycle in history when you look at how things go. And uh, and so I don't know how long this Islamophobe you know trend is going to go, but it's a ridiculous one. I've been studying, um, you know, what Islam is all about, and there are many criticisms to be leveled at it. And it's not hate speech to say that something's wrong when something is actually wrong. So that's my problem with that, right? Now, where people are calling for the death of others, where people are inciting violence against others, I mean, I guess I need to spell this out because I, it should have been pretty clear in everything I've said so far, but let me be really clear. If you are inciting violence on any subject at any time on any platform, you could expect, rightfully so, to be censored. That's not cool, right? So, so you can express your opinions. There's nothing wrong with that. You can communicate ideas. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you start calling for taking away other people's human rights, okay, well then, then there's an issue, right? And fortunately for the human race, uh, it is only a small minority of people who actually go that far. And we always prop those people up as the examples, uh, good or bad, you know, depending on whether we agree with them or not, uh, as to what should or shouldn't be allowed. You know, well, I'm just going to make the blanket statement that if there's, you know, this is the thing about this is it's very hard to make blanket statements. But on this one, I feel pretty, pretty confident. If you're going to incite people to violence against any group for any reason, um, there's going to be a problem, right? There should be a problem uh, in terms of making that a free speech issue. Now, when we're at war, with another nation, you're going to see a lot of that. So again, there are exceptions to these rules, right? Again, there's, these blanket statements get to be really, really troublesome. And this is why we have to take these deplatformed content creators or individuals on a case-by-case -case basis and look at everything that happened, not just some of what happened or not just on principle. This is my problem with Dave Rubin and Jordan Peterson on this issue. These are two people who I generally agree with on a great many things, or at least these are two people who get me thinking on certain things. There's all kinds of things I disagree with them on. In fact, I stopped following Dave Rubin because he just became too much for me in terms of some of his right-wing nonsense that I just don't agree with. But my biggest problem with, the, with what they're talking about when they, when they lift up Alex Jones as a poster child of free speech is they don't even know what he did. They admitted it. They said in their video, I, I, Dave Rubin said something like, yeah, I've watched like 10 minutes of Alex Jones and I don't know why it was he was deplatformed exactly, but it was wrong. And I go, Dave Rubin, shut up. <laughs> you know, if you're, if you, you chose the wrong poster child for your cause here, you know? And I already laid out earlier why that is. So, um, all right. So anyway, as far as, um, as far as this whole deplatforming thing goes, you know, if I, it, people will say, and I'm sure I'm already getting comments on this from some people on this podcast, um, well, Chris, what if you're deplatformed? Then what are you going to say? Are you going to say they have the right to do that? Yeah, I actually am. 
Uh, if YouTube wants to take me off of their platform because they suddenly find this big uh, sympathy plea for Scientology, for example, or from destructive cults, or they think any speech that's counter to any group that calls themselves a religion is now we're going to now define that as hate speech. Well, if that happens, if we get to that place, then I'll go find another platform. I'll go find another way to get my, my message out there uh, other than YouTube or other than Google or other than social media platforms. I mean, hell, remember books? We used to write those, you know, uh, pamphlets, essays, all kinds of ways, you know, blogs. I mean, there's all, there's all kinds of ways these days of getting a message out there. And when a person is deplatformed from a private media platform like Facebook or Google, um, that's not taking away their right to speak or express themselves. You still have that right. They're just making it more difficult. And a really thorough look at why that occurred should be done in every one of those cases to decide, are we, is this some arbitrary nonsense or is this based on real world consequences from that speech, intended and unintended, and the behavior of the content creator towards that behavior. I would be personally horrified, absolutely horrified, if somebody took my words and used them as an incentive or motivation to go beat up on Scientologists or anybody else for that matter from any other one of these destructive cults. I would be horrified by that because I've made it very clear many times that that's not at all what I'm about or what this platform, what my, what my platform is about. Unfortunately, some of these other content creators don't spell that out in such crystal clear terms, and they really should, because as it mentioned earlier in that covenant and in the Universal Declaration, there is a responsibility that public figures have for their speech. And uh, we affect a lot of people out there. I mean, I'm a small creator. There's people out there who affect millions of people at a shot. And when you're doing something like that, you need to be cognizant of the words that you're saying and the potential effects they can have. One incident, one unintended consequence, it should not be a career killer. If you say something and some whack job, you know, takes your words and goes and does something horrible, that's not necessarily something you can lay on the guy if he didn't, if he didn't say the exact direct words for, hey, somebody should go do this. You know, if the guy was just mouthing off about something and some guy goes off and, you know, takes a shot at somebody uh, that he was mouthing off about, let's say, well, you know, that's, that's a little bit of a, of a difficult case to make that the content creator is to blame for that. You know, this is, again, why we have to get very, very specific about this. But if that happened, again, going back to the Alex Jones method, if that happened and the content creator said, God damn right, good. I'm glad that guy went and took a shot. I wish more people would do that. Okay, now you are inciting. And that is not what any responsible content creator should be doing. So it seems to me that common sense and the rights as listed in the Universal Declaration and even in our Bill of Rights are adequate to, to clarify these situations if we pay attention to them if we don't give in to mob mentality and fear about how our freedom of speech is being impinged and impugned and, and destroyed by social media platforms. Where social media platforms are getting this wrong, 
we need to take action to let them know they're getting it wrong. And they'll learn. Or they won't, and we'll move on and, you know, in the marketplace of competition, something else will rise. You know, Facebook isn't going to be around forever, neither is YouTube. So, you know, and there are alternative platforms people can go to. So, I'm not trying to make less of the problems that we're experiencing on these things. I'm saying that where these problems exist, we need to proactively deal with them and not just sit and moan and complain and, and bitch about them, but actually, you know, do something to make these platforms better. We have that power. We have the ability to do that if we, if we work together. Um, and that's pretty much what I have to say about that. I am very interested in any comments, feedback, good, bad, or sideways on all of this. Um, spent quite a bit of time working on this stuff. But I am not at all saying that all of these ideas that I've expressed here in this podcast are in their final form or that I've thought through every possible consequence and ramification of all of this. I've done my best here and I am wide open to hearing what you guys have to say. And, you know, if I'm wrong about something, change my mind. I'm willing to listen. Thanks very much for coming around and uh, listening to what I had to say here. Uh, And I will see you guys next week. And again... Happy holidays to everybody. All right. Bye-bye, guys.